So welcome to Finding Focus. This is a series of short, actionable conversations that uncover why and how people in today's increasingly distracted world, how they focus. Um, Pull up a chair as we examine the obstacles, the aha moments, and the strategies that each guest uses to find focus. Today, I am joined by Sam Senior. Uh, He's the CEO of TestBox, a company that I absolutely love. Um, If you are buying software, you need to get to know this company. Uh, They change how people buy software. Uh, Sam formerly was at, um, at Bain and, uh, Sam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Andy. I really appreciate it. Um, I've been a very happy user of Gated since the early days of beta. So I'm excited to talk to you about this. Oh, that's cool. I am excited too, because you were actually one of the sparks for the concept of this podcast. Um, you and I were talking just in an off session around, your insights on how you focus, um, particularly around uh, your your the norms you need to have found that you need to create to do this. Um, so let's dive in. Um, so you shared that you rate yourself a seven out of ten on your ability to focus. Um, you said that was because while you have some great strategies, you don't always stick to them. Um, I agree. Your strategies were pretty awesome. I actually took one of them and it inspired me, and and even some of the ways our product may go in the future. But um, why don't we start off with some of the strategies you've developed, and then we can later on talk about what's preventing you from sticking to them. Our whole goal here is for people to be able to hear how successful executives focus and also for us to learn ways that people struggle to focus and how we can help that. Um, so first, I think your approach to focusing focusing time for your company was really inspiring. It's why I was so excited to have you on the podcast can you share a little bit more about what you do um, with focused time across your entire company? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first, I'm very excited to hear what new features you're releasing in Gated. Uh, I'm very curious about that, but I can I can answer your question. Um, so I think I think at the end of the day, the first important block is prioritizing focused time across the company, and it needs to not just be something that is talked about but not actioned. Um, And so we actually thought about what can we do structurally across the company to put moments in place that enable focus for everyone, not just just me when I say, oh, I think we should all be doing this. Um, A a few big blocks came out of this. One actually came from one of my co-founder who was acting as the CTO for a while there, and he was finding it really hard to juggle a lot of the sort of admin and sort of people leadership topics that need to happen whilst also trying to be an engineer. It was actually, it was very, very challenging for him because he'd get broken up throughout the day constantly. And so we really early on decided to dedicate his time to say it would be these one or two days a week that would be leadership co-foundery stuff and the rest of the week would be dedicated engineering. And that actually enabled him to move a lot faster. And so we started there and said, okay, what else, how do we, how do we now take this across the company further? And actually one of our team members put his hand up and said, well, I, I did this, um, I did this online course around focus and, and how you learn. And he talked around focus time versus diffused thinking time. Diffused thinking time being that, that, that experience that most people have of when they're going to sleep at night and they start to have all these really great ideas appearing in their head just as they're trying to go to sleep or like when you're in the shower or when you've gone for a walk or whatever it is. Um, so he actually, he is, is the idea is this diffused thinking. Um, And so he actually ran a brown bag across the team around how you use diffuse thinking and how you should use focus time. Um, And so we started to actually create this norm across the whole company to say, 
the expectation is that all of us are allowed to say, I need to focus and here's how I'm going to do so. Or actually I'm going to be not at my computer, not focused on a task. I'm going to be doing, having diffuse thinking time somewhere else where I'm going to be more creative. Um, so there's different ways of creating focus time. So now we, we do things like um, having an emoji on Slack that's a little brain emoji that's our diffuse thinking time, or maybe it's our really focused time. We actively uh, place blocks on our calendar to say, this is when I am going to be away from keyboard and have that updated in Slack. And it's really clear so that everyone knows that. I personally have actively communicated to everyone in my company that there are two days a week where for three quarters of the day, I will be unreachable. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually have it as dedicated time marked as out of office. So it's actually impossible for anyone to book onto my calendar because it automatically declines them. Um, we, we also something that my chief of staff is really, really good at that we've started to get further into the, the company as well is the idea of just placing blocks for certain tasks. Basically, there is this thing I know I need to do, but I maybe don't have, haven't found time for it or whatever it is. And instead saying, here is an hour where I'm going to get dedicated time to do this task. And all I have to do is turn up. We'll just see, see if I do it, see if I don't do it or if, if I complete it or not, but I need to at least turn up and get started. Um, and this is particularly helpful for tasks that you may not be overly excited to do. You may be procrastinating, things like that. Um, so there are, there are a number of different things that we've been doing as a company, um, but it's something that we talk about quite frequently and we, we often talk about focus time and uh, in our all hands and equivalent sort of meetings um, across the team. I, I love that. You know, I've got like five questions to ask you here, Sam, but uh, the first one I think is the most innovative that I've seen from you is the norms. Um, I think a lot of people I talk to have like no meeting Wednesday or no meeting Friday. It always fails. Oh, we also have no meeting Thursday. That is no true. Meeting. And, and it does. Everyone on our product and engineering team says it works very well. Um, I have, I am the only person that seems to dodge no meeting Thursday, but that's because I also have my dedicated out of office blocks and I use Thursday mornings to talk to external parties because I know my team's not going to talk to me. Yes. Interesting. Um, so what are they, I, I think the fact that you folks have been so conscious around setting norms internally for, I, I think a, it gives permission for people to do that. Um, how do you resist the temptation if you've got a bug or you've got, uh, or somebody needs you urgently? Like what's, what's the norm around that of like when you can break through that wall on the schedule to get you? I think there's, there's two parties here, right? There's you as the individual, and then there's the person who wants your help or, mm -hmm. or wants your attention on something. So you as an individual, it is your responsibility to turn off your Slack notifications, to put the emoji up there, to do whatever it is such that you're not going to pay attention to that thing. A good example is on my, on my phone, um, if I turn it over, I no longer get any vibrations because it goes into do not disturb mode. So it's sort of, a lot of it requires the person to have that ownership. Yes. And then as the person on the other side of it, you need to understand if you see those indicators, you're not going to expect a response in the next X number of hours, whatever that expected time period is. Um, one thing that I have on my calendar actually is in one of my sort of out of office Tuesday blocks is uh, check Slack and email. 
And so people know that they, I will get back to them in that period of time. Mm. Um, so some of these expectations that need to be set between individuals, and then it is on the person to understand that they have the power to not respond and also on the, on the power of the person requesting to not expect a response. If there is something very urgent, there's always another way to contact someone. Text. For I think the, the very, very urgent thing maybe happens one, like truly urgent, like maybe once a quarter, maybe one, like it's not, it's not that often. So it doesn't really get interrupted. I think that's yeah, the definition of what urgent is and, and almost uh, not shaming it, but uh, kind of reflecting back of, was that really urgent? Did you really need me? Um, that's neat that you got. And so you feel like you guys have been able to succeed at no meeting Thursdays where a lot of companies have failed. Is that correct? Or yes. do, you that, do you see it getting knocked down a little bit here and there? Uh, it gets knocked down with one or two individuals. Mm-hmm. So mainly me and my chief of staff, because they te- tend to be the days where it's easiest for us to talk externally to parties. Yep. But otherwise the core team, absolutely. They actually, they celebrate it in the mornings. They're like, ah, it's no meeting Thursday. Here's what we're doing. And then async standups and everything is, is asynchronous. Yeah. So talk to me about how you guys have been able to work asynchronously. Um, I think we spent a lot of time thinking about that and we've talked about the diff we're fully remote. I'm guessing you maybe yeah. as well too. Um, and the value if some companies have realized asynchronous, but also how hard truly asynchronous work is versus, Hey, we still need to get together and talk about something. So are there any ways that you've succeeded in or tactics and practices you found to be asynchronous? Yeah. So overall as a company, we meet four times a year. Yep. for team on-sites. And then each team has budget to be able to meet additionally once in a quarter. So you could meet up to eight times a year if you wanted to with, with colleagues. Um, so that A, enables us to have those creative discussions that you're talking about in person that may be harder asynchronously or over um, any sort of video conversation. So that, that's just overall strategy. The second part is getting the right tooling. So we obviously, we use Slack. But we also use um, Coda, which for some other people is an equivalent of Notion. Um, it's like a super advanced version of Google Docs. Um, and then we also use a tool called Gavatown. Um, there's a bunch of these sort of coming out now, which is sort of like a virtual world, virtual office that you can all exist in. And actually you have little characters and you have your little office and you can walk over to each other and it... Um, has a sort of a field of audio and a field of vision. When you walk into it, you can have full conversations. So we're still able to have corridor conversations with each other or just pop over without needing to send a, a Zoom link or a Google Meet or whatever it is. So it, tooling is really, really important um, to enable you to still have synchronous conversations if you need it because it's really critical or it's creative or asynchronous conversations, those corridor moments. Um, and then the next part that... We had probably a few weeks where this was really hard and then we fixed it, um, which I'm really happy with. But there was a period of time where we were doing absolutely everything in Slack and it got so messy. It got really, really messy where you would have like 30 comment deep threads um, and you would be trying to address something that someone said in the fifth comment in your 30th comment and it just got really, really messy. Um, So we actually started adding an emoji in there um, where we'd add a coder emoji as our reaction to say, hey, this is a decision being made or this is a topic where there is a lot of nuance. You need to move this to coder. 
and you need to just provide the link and ask for people exactly who you want to have feedback on that particular document. Because it enables- I love that. It's, it's calling people out, which is I recognize this one's going down the wrong path. How do, exactly. you, rec- how do you recognize when it should no longer be asynchronous? Uh, as I've seen those where they end up with like the 40 yep. red on Slack and you're like, geez, we should have just gotten together to talk about this one. When we, when we identify that there is a lot of differing opinions on a, on a, on a topic um, and it is something that is not a small decision. And so I think there's the size of the decision, then there is the number, a number of conflicting opinions on it. Um, so if it's, if it's in the important bucket and there are lots of thoughts, then we should get together. If it is not in those two buckets, we should probably continue doing it asynchronously. Yeah, or alternatively, what I've always loved is the JC concept, right? Where you're going to say, who's the driver of this decision? We're going to delegate this decision to one person. We're going to clarify maybe the two or three people that need to be consulted. And then they can take it offline. They can figure it out and they can come back with a solution. Exactly right. So having worked at Bain formally, we call that rapids. Um, so we define rapids in a similar type way. Um, one other thing that I think is important that we don't, that I haven't mentioned is we are doing a much better job recently of also posting something in Slack with a coder thread or whatever it is and saying, this is when I want feedback by, and mm-hmm. this is the level of feedback I want. So I'll unpack that. The level of feedback being, I've done the 10% version of this or the 50% or the 80% version of this. So like change your commentary based on that. So that enables people to understand how much time they should be spending thinking about this thing. And then the second part is the ask, asking for specific timing and ensuring that it's reasonable. You can't say, hey, I need this in the next hour, but saying in by, let's say it's Monday, by Wednesday afternoon, I need input on this. Otherwise I'm going to move forward. That A, like allows people to understand how they are able to put that into their workload, but also B means they're not getting distracted saying, oh, I have to go read that document right now. I need to go figure out what happens. Instead, they can continue doing their focus activity that they are doing, and then they can get back to the, the schedule of, I need to respond to this. I need to give input here. Um, that's been a really big, big thing for us. I think I like that. The other thing I've kind of gotten sometimes down the wrong rabbit hole on is I value working out loud. People saying, hey, here's where I am on this thing. Sometimes I've seen people say, oh, I need to have input on that one. I'm like, no, no, that's just working out loud. And so I think there's the calibrating of this is just working out loud or FYI versus this needs input on it. And I think those are, those are really good ones too. Uh, yes. well. um, as a CEO and as somebody external as well too, I kind of want to ask you, there's two kind of things that I find can break down my focus barriers. One is, um, one is a lot of what I need to do is outbound, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's on email, and it's hard for me. I know you only should check those things on periodic intervals, but I also need to be in them to be acting. And when I am in them and acting, I get inbound stuff that interrupts me and sends me in a different direction. Have you figured out a great way to solve that problem? No. (laughs) And I really hope that's what you're thinking about building. I think that's Um, part of what we're thinking about building. I mean, it's the classic of the pause button on email. Like I'd love to be able to send outbound ones. I have found consistently if I'm out for something and I come in on a vacation day or whatever, and I check email, I can get through it in 15, 20 minutes and boom, I'm on and I don't need to. But otherwise I find myself checking email five, 10 times a day. And I know from the books that's the wrong way, but I have to open email to do my job. And yeah. so that is, that I think there are definitely tools that will help you pause the email. 
I think a lot about that one. Um, and I struggle with that on LinkedIn as well. Too, which e- is email, email is an easier platform for me because I can close the tab, turn over my phone, and I just don't need to engage on it. Um, the LinkedIn is particularly challenging. I think I have found some of my, some of our best conversations with users will start on LinkedIn, um, particularly if they're deeper partnership conversations or they're people who have never heard of us before and just looking to understand more or whatever it is. And the, the challenge is if you are fast to respond to someone, you will then end up in a conversation with them that is actually really good for you because it increases the likelihood that they're going to come onto your platform. They're going to talk about it, whatever it is. And so there's this annoying feedback loop of someone reaches out to you, the quicker you respond, the quicker you end up in a conversation, the quicker you actually have to provide value to them versus it being like, Oh, I get back to them a day later. They get back to me two days later and, and it never, it becomes very stunted. And so there is this tension here of whilst LinkedIn is distracting it also and you can lead you down a rabbit hole it also is a great place to engage people learn from them and be able to potentially provide your services to them whatever it is and so there is this tension here that i find more challenging that doesn't happen on email i could not agree more and and i think email at least allows you to tag label follow up with things in the future linkedin doesn't do that if you miss it you i I don't know how many times you've had it but somebody will just flow right through my thing and I will, they will have been a valuable conversation, but I won't, I, I will miss following up with those people. So I think that's an interesting one. We don't have a solve for that one yet, but we're thinking about it. <laughs> How about the other one of, so you're blocking, I think you said Tuesday, Wednesday, or Wednesday, Thursday. Um, how do you meet with external people if your calendar is blocked? Uh, because you can't send your Calendly out to say, great, sounds terrific. I actually have a free, you've actually got some really great blocks to meet with people, but like, how do you solve that inherent conflict as well too? So I will do my best to only do external meetings in that block, potentially on a Thursday. Uh Um, But as much as possible, I am actually okay with people not being able to get that time and they just have to figure out another time in the week for it to work. Um, It is something that I worked with my coach on for a little while where he was like, look, you have protected time, but for a while there, I wasn't keeping it protected and I was allowing kind of anyone to get in there. Um, So turning into the out of office meant that I didn't, it was automatically done for me. And so I've just decided that actually after, so on Tuesdays I have therapy until at, at 11 a.m. till midday. After midday, I'm not going to take any meetings externally. And on Thursday afternoons from like 1 p.m. onwards, I'm not going to take any meetings externally. So there's still my like Thursday mornings that are no meeting Thursdays for the rest of my team. Um, and I will just do a lot of back-to-backs there if needed. But I think it, you just have to decide that, no, I own this time. I need to work on the business in this time. Um, and, and you just have to claim it and not allow people to take it from you. I like that. Yeah, the concept of working on versus working in the business is, is yeah. a really good one. Effectively, I feel like what you're doing is you're reclaiming, you're time shifting from nights and weekends, which most of us do, to forcing that time into the regular workday. Does that give you back more personal time on evenings and weekends? And I know you and I have traded a lot of... Uh, real-time LinkedIn's on, on weekends and, or evenings sometimes. So do you feel like you've been successful at getting back some sanity uh, in those off hours? Because for me, when I'm not receiving any emails or any LinkedIn's, you know, call it 8 to 10 p.m. at night, I'm insanely productive. Um, I'm wondering if you've been successful to shift that time out and end up with more personal time. 
I don't have a great answer to that, I think. I think it, it varies throughout the week and throughout a month. Um, the way that I've always looked at, the, the way that I was taught to look at time at Bain was actually really helpful. <laughs> As When you're relatively junior, you were expected to kind of work the same hours every week for a project. So I work 60 to 70 hours every single week and that would just not change no matter how busy the project was. As I got more senior, what started to happen was it was much more spiky. And so there's this idea of like, okay, just as you're kicking up a new part of a project, it was really, really busy for the senior leaders on the team because we were defining the project, working with all the major stakeholders, and then we pass that down to our team who would do the, the, the core work on day to day. Similar when you're coming to an executive meeting or whatever it was, it'd get really spiky. And so there's this idea that you would spike way above the team once or twice a month at least for, for maybe a week, but you need to be really careful at taking back the time. And so it'd be called like claiming the dip. So the idea was actually there'd be a chunk of a month or between big meetings that you were working less than the team. And it was so hard to get okay with that because I was really self-conscious. I I was always so self-conscious of like, oh, if I'm not working, the rest of the team's going to judge me. But then after a while they were like, we just saw you working really damn hard last week and we know you're going to work really damn hard in a few weeks like we don't mind and so I've actually tried to instill that in my team as an expectation as well and and in a few of my leaders that you need to be comfortable with taking the dip and being okay with that and so sometimes on those out of office Thursdays or, or Tuesday afternoons like maybe I'm not actually working and that's the opportunity to reclaim some personal time. Like maybe I do go for a bike ride for a few hours or whatever it is, depending on what's going on in the company that week, that month, that quarter. Um, and so it, it, a lot of it is a philosophy thing where I am, I am frequently time shifting and recognizing that sometimes I need to work really damn hard during, during nights or maybe there's some weekend stuff that's urgent that needs to happen, but knowing that I'm going to get it back in a few weeks because I am, learn to be comfortable with that. That is amazing. I mean, you think deeper about time than almost anyone I've met. So I truly, I truly love it. Speaking of you time, should, I think you should meet my chief of staff. She is on a next level. I'm not even close to her. I got to meet her. Maybe we'll get her on a future one. We are at time, but I would take five minutes more of your time if you had it, or if you've got to yeah, go. I, absolutely. Okay, cool. Um, I can run long, but uh, we always respect people's time. Um, that's actually one thing I've learned as a leader. I am always on time for meetings because I think people follow your behavior. And so I've now got this new one where I'll set meetings today. I don't know if you saw it today, but it started five minutes after, which I found from somebody because it's impossible to end things on time. Oh, it's, it's possible to end things on time. It's impossible to end things five minutes early. People yep. will always run through that. So um, I found that once you start to show up on time, people start to bend to that will as well too. And they also, you, they realize you respect their time, which I yep. think is important. Um, you said, uh, just getting started on a project works. I couldn't agree more. Like I, I coach a lot of people through, I'm not a writer. Um, it's too hard to write. Well, I'm like, okay, if you break that down into three pieces, the just throw a bunch of ideas in a doc, um, spend an hour outlining it, and then spend another hour writing it. I think they, I like how you apply that to everything, not just writing per se. Um, is there an example where, uh, where that's been really effective for you in terms of just starting? Yeah, I think it has been from writing my monthly investor update. Uh, That is always something that is very emotionally charged, no matter how many you've written, because it's a reflection of 
where were we, where were we successful? Where were we failing? What's coming next? And, and so it's always emotionally charged. So that is one that I need to really work through really quickly and just get all of it out there and then go through it again, go through it again, and then be able to get it out there. And it I found the exact same thing. I just, that, okay. I was just saying, I found the exact same thing. I find I throw every idea I have throughout the month in that. Then I set aside an hour to write a draft. And yep. then I'm iterating on that draft for three to four days. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm now really happy that I've been able to get it down to something that takes me 30 to 45 minutes max. That's great. But it's always easier when the business is doing well too, for sure. <laughs> um, what are yeah, some- so that, that, that's been a, that's been a big thing for me. Um, I think there has also been, I think on this point of like emotionally charged issues or things you might procrastinate on, um, there's a lot of research out there that says procrastination is largely due to mm-hmm. an emotional adversity to the thing that you're about to do, whether it's a fear, whether it's um, a sadness around what you need to do or wh- whatever it is. And so really focusing on how do you work your way through that emotion such that you're no longer in this procrastination procrastination mode um, is really important. It's something I've worked on in therapy. It's something I've worked on through coaching and identifying the, the, few, mo- the few things and moments that enable me to... Um, work through that feeling so that I can get started on things. That's great. You're super thoughtful about this. I, I, I've gotten to the point now where I always do the hardest things first rather than, than last. Um, let's talk maybe for the last couple of minutes around what prevents you from focusing. I think that was a really interesting one. You've got probably the most thoughtful approach to time management I've ever seen, um, which is impressive, but still you rated yourself a seven out of 10. You said it was, <laughs> you said it was because you didn't want to slow your team down. Yeah. Well, I think my job, what, one of the critical parts of my role is being able to unblock my team. And so all I can think about whenever, whenever they're asking for input is, can I enable them to go faster? And so that is something that I am very conscious of. And it's partly why I have a check Slack 30 minutes in my out of office time is because I really am concerned if I'm there for the, not there for almost a full day on Slack, that the stuff that we couldn't have, we could have moved on that I dodged or I slowed down or whatever it was because I didn't respond. Um, And so that's a really big one for me that I'm just so scared of slowing my team down. And so I want to respond really quickly. However, something that we've started to do a better job at is identifying if I truly need to be involved in things um, as much. Or if my Slack response now is, looks great, trust you, take it from here. Or like just something that clearly shows that I trust the person. I believe that they're going to be able to do a great job and I can, I don't need to be involved and they don't need to message me anymore. So there's, there's sort of two moments. One is identifying how I can fully hand it over to that person and not be involved. But the second is um, ensuring I still can spend dedicated time responding to them because we're not yet at the stage where I cannot respond for a few days and everything still be okay on that particular hot topic. Ah, so that yeah, I guess hopefully you can take a vacation and uh, not have to worry about the uh, the things rolling off. Exactly, um, it, it's hard as a CEO. I, I definitely get it. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I mean, I prioritize DMs from my direct reports. I think I've found, and I, I always say to people, I give the speech of, in the first thirty to sixty, call it ninety days, I'm going to be all over you. But my goal is to be to build those lines of trust. So I give the speech of 
what our relationship is in the first 60 days mm-hmm. is what it will be like for the rest of our lives together. And mm-hmm. so I want you to give me any feedback I want to give. I want me to give you feedback, but I've got to get to you to a point when like you're managing me and you're driving on it. And if I can't get you there, then it's going to be a lot harder. Yeah. Um, and I so I think I've, I've tried to make almost like empower them to own when something's not working or, and, and, and unbottle the best of them. And then some people can't make it across that, right? Like some people just still need me, but I tend to be, I tend to steer way out once I've gotten to that level with somebody. And I think you mentioned the DMs part. I think for a while there, that was our model. And I found that helpful but challenging at the same time because um it did mean that I, I it meant that i felt i had to respond really fast to everything what we have now done is if someone dms me um i now actually send them an emoji back that says like you need to go cross post this in a public thread because now we have trained everyone that we do not dm on anything that requires input if we can avoid it and 98% of things can avoid that. Um, and what we have found is it's actually dramatically increased the input that other people will add on something, which means that I don't need to actually be involved. There's a lot of times I'll go to a Slack thread that I was tagged on three or four hours earlier and be like, oh, it's been resolved. Great. I don't need to go in here. Um, so by forcing things to be public, we have actually enabled us to speed up by not bottlenecking each other. I love that. Um, last fun tactic I've had is, um, I, I heard somebody say you wouldn't let anyone in your company create a Salesforce field. So why do you let anyone in your company create a Slack channel? Um, so I, I kind of have put in a 24 hour waiting period, uh, and you need to request a Slack channel, um, so that we don't end up with every single pet channel and every single birthday card channel and all of that stuff. And I think that's a, it's hard because Slack is so powerful early on, but it can grow into this monstrosity that owns your life, especially as your company gets bigger. That's true. That's very true. Well, thank you, man. This is great. This is, uh, I'm so pumped that you are our first uh, on this podcast. I think it's going to be hard to top. I, I've learned a lot from you and I'm going to go back and listen to this as well too. So thank you so much. I'll stop here. And uh, everyone, if you haven't, if you're buying software, um, go check out Testbox. Thanks, Andy. Thank you.